My name is Luke Taylor, and I love wine. There are so many reasons why I love wine. A favorite wine can be associated with a particular time, place, or memory. That's the thing. With great food and great wine, it meshes into our life experiences. When it comes to wine, the taste, the bouquet, or simply the wine drinking experience itself can elicit a memory of a special time or place. Underneath every cork tells a story of the vineyard, the grape, and the people buying each and every bottle. Ten years ago, I turned a hobby into a career. I have traveled all across the globe and tasted thousands of wines along the way, meeting and getting to know some passionate winemakers and vintners. This show is about translating my love of wine and sharing the stories from interesting people in the wine trade while sharing a few laughs, aka uncorking the lighter side of wine. This is the Cork and Taylor Wine Podcast. Unedited, unscripted, and always good to the last drop. So pour yourself a big glass, take a seat, and let's talk some wine. Or better yet, sorry mom, let's talk some shit. Hello and welcome to the Cork and Taylor Wine Podcast. Luke Taylor here and I am in studio. Studio one, studio two, whatever you want to call it, with a friend of mine, dear friend of mine. I have pushed his wine, slept his wines now for probably seven or eight years. I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend. He is rated, each year they're voted the number one wine importer in Cleveland Heights. I think they're the only one. I have Tony Marchetti here from Scorperta, aka Marchetti Importing out of Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Tony, welcome to the Cork and Taylor podcast. Thanks for having me, Luke. Thank you for being here, especially uh, with everything going on. So we sell your wines. People might know your wines. People might not know your wines. Uh, How long have you been uh, importing wines? We have been importing for over 15 years. Uh, We've been in business for 32 years. Wow. And you've kind of, I know the background, a lot of people might not know the background. Uh, It's pretty an interesting, you've kind of morphed from when you started the business to what it is now, correct? That's right. That's right. When we started, uh, I purchased a uh, a wine agency brokerage uh, from Mr. Gil Schwartz, who uh, started his company in 1968 after selling his distributorship to uh, a very large company at that time. So he brokered his wines for 20 years, and then he sold me the business in um, uh, 1988. Okay. I took over. And when you started uh, your business, you had some di- – I mean, it's it, you've had some different brands. I mean, you, you carried or brokered a lot of some pretty well-known Napa wineries, correct? Right. We, uh, we brokered um, – um, Pride Mountain Vineyards is mm-hmm. probably the most uh, prestigious. You know, Markham Vineyards was wow. one of our very first. We did Han Estates from down in uh, the Santa Lucia Highlands. We did uh, Morgan down in that same area. But uh, we have um, just about gotten completely out of the California wine business. We are focused on uh, our own imports. And why, why did you, I guess why did you get out of that side of the business? Uh, because uh, it's always a short-term a proposition. Uh, one of four things is going to happen. Uh, you don't meet the sales expectations of the winery and they fire you. You exceed the expectations of the winery <laughs> and they put their own man in the street. Uh, they go out of business or um, forgot the fourth one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God there's not 10 because you would have yeah. forgotten four through 10. But, but there is one more. I'll think of it eventually. Right. 
But it's always a short-term proposition, and I tell other young people who want to get into being an agent for California wineries, you better start with 30 of them because they're going to be rotating in and out all the time. Wow. Even even back then. I mean, I know it's a little bit different with the franchise laws and what have you in Ohio, but... There are so many that we had that just flat went out of business. Wow. That's amazing. Probably because we didn't sell enough. Right. And I mean, it's it, there's a lot of wineries out there nowadays, especially it seems like any time, I don't know when the last time you went to Napa or Sonoma is, you know, back then there might have been 50, 60, 70, 80. Now there's just thousands. And, and some, are, some are, you know, estate wineries with buildings. Some are buying shiners and putting a label on her. Some are buying whatever it is. Well, when I first went there in 1973, I think it was, Napa Valley was like a a ghost valley. Mm -hmm. There were very few wineries at that time. When you consider that Robert Mondavi was the first new winery built in Napa Valley since Prohibition ended. So you can see with the growth, there's there's probably a thousand wineries there now. Mm -hmm. So you started off, uh, when you started off the the importer side of it, how many brands did you have? How many wineries? Well, we started uh, to import wines that we were uh, acting as agents for. We started uh, probably with about six or seven okay. in the beginning. Our German winery, Moseland, Villa Calcinaia, uh, our Chianti Classico, Bodega Saragonesis, our Spanish you know, winery, and then a few of our private label brands that we had. So, and, and how many do you have now today? We probably work with, in total, maybe 30. Wow. Maybe 30. Wow. I, I, I haven't counted them all up, but something like that. <laughs> How many kids do you have? One. Oh, there you go. That was a pretty easy question. Yeah. And he's actually in the business now, right? Yes, he is. He, he works uh, our New England uh, you know, territory. He lives in Boston. Awesome. Works New England and Florida. So what have you, I guess, for all the years you've been in this business, now you were a sales rep. You used to slept wine in the streets, the mean streets of Cleveland, correct? That's right. Is that how you got in the wine business? Nope. I got in the wine business in, in the retail side Okay. at a, at a uh, well-known French restaurant called Au Père Jacques, uh, which was located at the corner of um, uh, Chagrin Boulevard and uh, Sam Center Road. Okay. And it was on the uh, northwest corner, and the owner, Jack Schindler, opened up a wine shop, and the um, person who was running the wine shop quit. And I got elected to run the wine shop back in 1972 (laughs) because I was working in the kitchen. Wow. So I got elected to run the wine shop and work in the kitchen. And how long were you there for? I was there for two or three years. And then I went to work for for another retailer in Aurora, Shaker Beverage. And uh, then I worked for another wine shop. Uh, that opened in uh, the Pavilion Mall on Chagrin Boulevard. And then uh, I went to work for, um, for Fazio's, okay. and, uh, which, which really wasn't, uh, wasn't what I wanted. And then I went back to work at Père Jacques. And uh, in 1978, uh, I left the retail and went to work for a wholesaler vintage wine distributor. And I did that for 10 years. What made you decide after doing 10 years of wine sales that you wanted to kind of spread your wings and set your own path? It was an opportunity I thought would be good. And uh, after 10 years of driving around uh, northeastern Ohio and uh, also in Columbus, and I decided I just wanted something different. 
And uh, you want to drive so, across the so, country, right? So I rolled the <laughs> dice. Well, in the in the beginning, we just covered Ohio, Michigan, and Upper New York State. Okay. So we really didn't expand our territory until we got into the sake business, and we started in that uh, in that area. And then uh, they kept wanting me to take on more territory. So we took on Indiana, we took on Kentucky, we took on Tennessee, we took on uh, Connecticut, Maryland, Virginia, North, South Carolina, and Georgia. And we were going to all those states with the sake, which kind of led us into importing. We decided since we're going there with one brand, we might as well import our own wines and distribute them in all these states. When you started out uh, in your own business, what were some of the challenges um, that you faced? Paying the rent. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have that issue now, do you? (laughs) No, well, um, we worked out of my basement for um, probably 15 years, either by myself and as we we gradually added people. You know, we just kind of outgrew the basement, but we worked rent-free for 15 years, and uh, you keep our expenses low. Amazing. Yeah, but that's okay. Worked out. Yeah. I don't, could you do that nowadays if you started like that nowadays or would it be a little bit tougher? Sure. Yeah. I think a one-man operation, two, three people, if you carve out a spot in your home, uh, you know, you could do that. Mm-hmm. I, I would have – actually, I would advise that because it keeps your expenses low. Uh, I know other agents uh, who say, no, you should have an office away from your home. It all depends on what suits you the best. And I, I enjoyed working at home. So when you started, you had some challenges – Nowadays, what are I guess what are, what are some of your challenges of a of a you know successful importer? Well, I mean, you're <laughs> making an assumption there, uh, but um, uh, I, I, th- I think the challenge is, is like anything. It's it's building your brands. Uh, we we do a lot of our own label wines. Um, we do private labels for our distributors, um, and at times we've even done it for restaurants, but. Um, you know, it's always expanding. Um, uh, when I um, I took over the business, Gil Schwartz said, you have to grow or die. Mm-hmm. And uh, we always keep trying to grow. So that's our, our challenge. And, uh, and getting into the markets, uh, you know, we're very active working with our distributors. Um, this is the, up first, until this the, the first time we've ever met, and I've worked with you for seven, eight years. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> anyway, uh, right. well, you have our top guy, Tim Hallett, as your, oh, uh, Here we as go. your rep. <laughs> Here we go. No, so, it's great. So anyway, um, you have to enjoy um, you know, getting on the road and traveling. For many years, I did it mostly by car, and now I do it mostly by air and rental car. How, how much driving would you do back in the day? I was doing about 30, 30 to 35,000 miles a year. Driving. Driving. Wow. Driving. But uh, after I gave up the East Coast, the only places I drive now are Tennessee and Georgia. Okay. And I usually do that once a year, uh, although I have expanded it to, to drive, to extend that trip. And uh, uh, I go to Mississippi and uh, Louisiana, uh, usually on that same on that same run. So that's about a 3,000 mile run. Okay. And I do that now, you know, once a year. Nice. Nice. So I'm, I'm down to driving a total of about 8,000 miles a year. Oh, awesome. Uh, what are we drinking? 
We got some uh, wine I'm, here. I'm drinking water and I'm and I'm <laughs> and I'm squeezing this. Uh, Stop uh, squeezing this plastic. Yeah. So uh, we are drinking a red wine, uh, one of uh, Italy's most well-known wines called Amarone. And I think uh, it's popular with people because it's usually a little bit on the sweeter side. Comes from the Veneto region of northern Italy, and um, is made with uh, with grapes that have been dried for a hundred days, so they um, they lose forty percent of uh, their moisture. Produces a rich wine. Our style is more on the full-bodied and not on the sweet side. Uh, there are are some Amarones that, that taste like a concentrated Lambrusco. Wow. But ours ours doesn't. And what's the difference between Amarone and Rapasso? They're both uh, are Valpolicellas, and, um, which are made uh, from the Corvina and the Rondinella and Molinara grapes. A Rapasso um, Valpolicella is made from the dried grapes that go into Amarone. So... Amarone grapes are dried, they're pressed, they go through the fermentation, and then the grapes are removed, and a high-quality Valpolicella is added to those grapes, goes through a re-fermentation, and, uh, and it's aged another year in, in oak, in large oak. So it, you get the richness of the, the dried grapes without the intensity of the Amarone. And uh, it's, it's kind of called a baby Amarone. And it's, it usually sells for about half to a third the price of what an Amarone would sell for. Nice. So tell me a little story, because this, this one's got a little bit of interesting story with the name, correct? Yeah, the name is um, a, a name that the winery has given us to use in the entire um, states because their their main brand is Campagnola and they're they're very well known in northern Italy and they have they have importers small importers around the country uh, in fact they have one here in, in Cleveland which is wines LLC so we needed a label that we could sell in all 50 states and so they they developed this label for us you know you're not going to find this as a winery because the winery is Campagnola which we've been working with for 30 years but it used to be, if I remember correctly, because I saw this wine, uh, it was Car- uh, Corti Armani, correct? Uh, yeah, I think they got a phone call from the Armani family <laughs> and said, uh, you know, how about Armano? <laughs> so it's Corte Armano, not Armani. Same wine, same everything. Just oh, yeah, yeah. Same I. wine, same everything. Was it's, that an expensive change from an I to an O? Not really. I, I don't think so. No. I think it was there. Uh, we um, sold out of what we had and just replaced it with the uh, Armano. Nice. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know why they call that Armani, but I, I was wondering when that phone call was going to come, and I, I, it came. Right. It came. It's funny. Beautiful wine. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice. I enjoy it. What are some of your favorite wines that you sell? I know people, they sometimes ask me, you know, what's your favorite wine? And what I tell people is like, you know, I've got three children. Yeah. It's like picking who's your favorite child. And I can right. pretty That's much tell you 99% of the time who's my favorite child. Yeah. I'm not going to say it right here, but I'm just kidding. I, I love all my kids. But what are some, yeah, I guess, well, what are some of your favorites? Not favorite one, but some of your favorite wines that you just well, love personally. Yeah. I, um, as I get older, I'm tending to like lighter bodied wines rather than the, the full bodied, like, uh, you know, Napa Cabernets that can be really intense. I, um, I love Pinot Noir. Uh, I love um, you know Valpolicella, um, Barolo, 
uh, Chianti Classicos are, are wonderful. You know, Alianico from, um, uh, you know, the Campania region. In, in France, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy Bordeaux. Uh, Burgundy, we don't really have any Burgundies. Um, mm-hmm. You know, our portfolio tends to uh, run towards the good value range, and uh, you really can't find any good value uh, in Burgundy. But we have a lot of really nice German wines, too. Riesling from uh, uh, the Rheinhessen, I mean, excuse me, the Rheingau, uh, Karl Erhard is uh, our, um, our top-level German. Uh, we have some beautiful Rioja uh, from um, the, uh, the highest elevation area, um, called Alavesa. There's three regions in Rioja. There's the Baja, the Alta, and the Alavesa. Alavesa is the smallest and the highest elevation and tends to to focus entirely on um, on Tempranillo. Okay. Um, and uh, and we and also some nice Garnacha from uh, from Campo de Borja. So I, I like a varied a varied wine. I, I guess much, if I could only have to drink one wine in the world, it would be Romani Conti. But, wow. uh, you know, at uh, $2,000 a bottle, I, uh, um, it's not going to be my house wine. No, not this week, right? Yeah, not this week. So no. we sometimes ask some of our guests, significant others, to give us a tasty note on their parent, father, husband, spouse, wife, whatever it is. If you were a tasty note, if I said, Tony Marchetti, give me a tasty note on the man the myth, the legend, Tony Marchetti. How, how would it go? I would say um, tasting note. Yeah. You've never been asked that, have you? No, we, no. This is hard, no, this never, is hard hitting uh, investigative yeah, reporting yeah, right here. I, I can see that. I would say um, complex. Okay, one word. Just complex. That would be your tasting note, complex? Yeah, complex. <laughs> you obviously do not write the tasting notes for uh, the Marchetti company. No, we yeah. copy them out of the Wine Spectator. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> So your son, Justin, your only yeah. your your first and last born, gave me a tasty note on his father, who's also, I guess, his boss too, right? Tony Marchetti, 1950 vintage. So what are you, 26 then? You're either 26 or 96. I've got bad Canadian math. But yeah. he said, to say the 1950 Tony Marchetti has aged gracefully is an understatement. It positively sings. Still wonderfully bright. The inviting profile is complex, but still shows lots of youthful fruit. And the balance is there, but yours may not be after an evening with this hearty wine. This is a warm and generous offering that will surely stir your conversation as it opens up over the evening. One bottle produced. Drink now. J.M.M. You're either going to fire him or you're going to give him a raise. I can't believe you really said that. I'll have to call him up today. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty good. I, I guess it is. He's uh, more um, more loquacious than I am. He surprised you, didn't he? Yes, he did. I mean, I, I think that's pretty good. So, I, I mean, I've gotten some <laughs> some of them. Robert Foley, I've got David Ramey. I've had some good ones. Uh, ben Curtis, uh, some of the wives. Tor Kenward, some of the wives sent some uh, said some pretty funny things. But... Um, yeah, I think that's pretty good. I think he deserves a phone call and maybe a little pat on the back. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you didn't ask my wife. Yeah. Okay. She'd probably say over the hill. <laughs> Flabby, no, you know, no, really bad finish, uh, you know, no fruit. So we do a little section. It's called Sip and Spit. It is supposed to be a quick lightning round, but it never is. So I'm going to ask you about five or six, maybe seven questions. If you were a grape varietal, excuse me, what grape varietal would you be? Nebbiolo. That was easy. 
Why? Uh, because it uh, has complexity, elegance, and power all in the same uh, wine. Okay. So kind of like your tasting. And it, and it ages well. It, okay. Okay. There you go. Favorite wine region? I'd have to say Italy. Why? The variety. Okay. Any, any but I could easily say France. Okay. But what favorite wine region in Italy? Piedmont. Okay. I've been there to Piedmont with you. Yes, you I can have. see why. Yes, you have. If you weren't in the wine industry, what would you be doing? Well, just before I got into the wine industry, I was um, accepted to graduate school at a University of Chicago um, School of um, Archaeology. So uh, I was uh, set to uh, be on a uh, archaeological uh, career. And uh, my application was good for two years. So I said, well, I'm going to try this wine thing for a couple years. If I don't like it, I'll, I'll go to Chicago. Well, here I am. Any regrets? No. Good. Good. Strangest food and wine pairing you've ever had or seen at a wine dinner? Um, you probably have a couple. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sake and... Uh, Traditional American food, okay. beef and uh, fish, and the and the object of that was to try to show that sake can can match with anything. It just doesn't have to be Japanese food. And how bad was it? Uh, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good actually, okay. but it was different. Okay. If you could only drink three wines the rest of your life, doesn't matter what the cost is, what the budget, whatever, what three wines would they be? They would be um, Cote de Bone, um, Chardonnay, uh, you know, Pouligny Montrachet, Mirceau, that, that category, uh, Pinot Noir, and Nebbiolo. Any specific labels? No. No. Well, Angelo Gaia. <laughs> um, <laughs> heard that name. Uh, um, Domaine de la Romanicanti and, uh, and Marquis de la Guiche on Le Morachet, which is, uh, I think, a uh, monopole of um, Druin. Okay. So this will be a good uh, next question. If you could bathe in one wine, what wine would it be? Champagne. Oh, I thought I was going to get you like Domaine Ro Romanicanti or something. No. Like that. No, because the bubbles would feel good on your skin. Have you ever bathed in, honestly, have you ever bathed in bubbles before? Not bubbles, bubbles, like champagne bubbles? No, only our hot tub bubbles. You should try that. <laughs> you know what? Next time we'll have you on, I'm going to ask you that question. Have you ever bathed in champagne bottles? And I, and I definitely want you to uh, try it for yeah, me. Yeah, you provide the champagne and I'll do it. <laughs> Does, can it be sparkling? Sure. Okay, there we go. So I guess this is the next and pretty much the wrap-up. What's next for Tony Marchetti and Marchetti and importing? Well, um, I plan to work, plan to probably never retire, but I, I, I plan to be active for another maybe 10 years. And then uh, I've been gradually uh, turning over responsibility to other people in our, um, our company. And uh, I'm basically just an over-the-road wine salesman. And that's what I want to do. I may, uh, you know, reduce my territory, hire some people to, um, you know, take over part of my area. But I think I'll always be active. But I, I'll start to uh, to kind of wind down a little bit. I like to do some travel, um, you know, places in the world I've never been to, you know, outside of the wine regions. Like where? 
I, I, w- I was talking uh, to my wife the other day about doing a Eastern Mediterranean cruise um, to go Turkey and Greece, especially. Uh, I'd like to go to Madeira. You know, travel different places. Are they are they still doing cruises? Well, not today. <laughs> but down the road, right? Down the road. Down the road. Yeah. In fact, we're not even going to Italy, uh, or Italy or Spain or France this year, uh, which we usually do in the fall mm-hmm. to visit our uh, our wineries. How, how many times? That was supposed to be the last question, but now we're opening up another yeah. can of worms, which is fine. How many times a year would you go out to the different wine regions you represent? Um. Well, two times to the wine regions, uh, and then we have done trips to Piedmont, the one that you were on. Awesome. We've done, um, you know, trips to... Uh, what, uh, what was that restaurant we went to multiple times? Oh, um, oh. Um, I want to say Campagnola, but that's no. not right. It's. Uh, I just saw the, uh, the card is still in my, <laughs> on um, my dresser. Really cool business card. Yeah, um... I don't know why the name escapes me. It's, we go there all. You want, I, we went there twice. I know we went there twice, and I know the people. Uh, Diulio is the father, and uh, Simone is the son, and it's. Uh, I can see it. Where where is it? It's in da- where it's is in Asti, yeah. and it's called. Um, you'll have to look it up and add it at the end. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. Yeah, but they. I'm, I'll never forget. I had the same meal every time: uh, gnocchi with shaved bra- black truffles. And I've talked to Chelsea Barrett about it because she actually spent a month um, in in uh, in Italy with her family. And the guy just, I think it was the son or was the owner, he, he just kept shaving them. And I you, think those were white truffles. White truffles, sorry. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because in America, they weigh everything or, yeah. you know, they stop. He just kept going. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, so if you ever want to go back there, I'm, I'm always willing. Yeah. You're still thinking about it. But yeah, that's okay. I, I can't. I can't. Th- I can see the sign, but I can't uh, remember I the have name. The Begins with this a C. It's uh, I'm gonna say Campanaro, but that's that's closer. Well, you think about that. You stew on that. But uh, yeah. everybody, thanks for li- listening. Tony, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Well, uh, thanks for having me. Awesome. You're always uh, welcome. We're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna break and we're gonna uh, do a little Patreon section. I also want to thank three of uh, uh, Patreon supporters that have supported the show since day one: Michael Keenan, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, Mark Gersman and Sam Davidson thank you so much I thank you for listening thanks for your support and uh, keep drinking the good stuff 